We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to Geico. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz summer event, like the 2019 C-Class sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz summer event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 106, Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Thanks for tuning into the show. If you can tap in your app and check out the show notes, you can subscribe. You can find us on social media as well. We're on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, or at HiltonD13 for me, and on Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group. We do deeper dives, discussions, and that's also how you get to ask some questions in La Ronda, which will be coming up in just a few short minutes. You can also also help us out on Patreon to continue making these shows at tbpod.link backslash Patreon. I'm Dan Hilton, joined by my co-host for the day, Zach Lowy. Zach Lowy on Twitter, co-creator of BreakingTheLines.com, where there is plenty of good pieces up there right now. I personally would recommend a recent piece on Real Batiste and their early struggles in the season. And Zach, if you hear some of the... The backlog on the audio, it's because Zach is all the way in Madrid where he just got finished watching the match. But before we get to La Gran Pregunta and the Leganes 2-1 defeat that we just saw, let's start the show today, Zach, with some good news. The Barcelona Femini also played today and having lost 3-1 in Kazakhstan, looked to be making an early Champions League round of 32 exit. But back home, back in Catalonia, they found their way and not only did they score the necessary two goals to advance on away goals, but Lecky Martins put the exclamation point on it with a goal in the 90th minute. So Barcelona wound up winning 4-3 on aggregate. Again, they would have won on away goals anyway back home, but Better safe than sorry, and it's a good news that the Barcelona Femini, that would have been a shock result if they had been knocked out in the round of 32 to Kazakhstan, but again, some good news at least to start the show with. 
Well, let's head right into La Gran Pregunta today, and that is why is having a Gala 11 dangerous for Barcelona? And again, this on the back of the 2-1 defeat to Leganes after the 2-2 draw with Girona over the weekend. And when I say Gala 11, it's kind of become a derogatory term, as is many of these terms that we use when you talk about things coming after defeats. But in particular, before that, it seemed like the carryover from last season and all the new additions while it did add squad depth and people over the summer were pretty optimistic about the players that were added, it's that 11 of Osmani Dembele, Luis Suarez, and Lino Messi up front, Felipe Coutinho, Sergio Busquets, and even Rakitic in the midfield, and Jordi Alba, Samuel Untiti, Gerard Piquet, Sergio Roberto in on the back line, and Mark Andre Ter Stegen, of course, in goal. And we're seeing that not only is the Gala 11 having this idea that there are Starting 11 players, those are their spots, and it's going to be difficult to dislodge them. But I think it's dangerous for a lot of reasons that we've seen as the substitutes have started to come in. And it's not necessarily about the quality of the quality of the substitutes, but there just seems to be something, not to say wrong, but there's something is amiss with not only that starting 11, but we're seeing it more so, and we're seeing those issues extrapolated with these bench players being substituted into the lineup. He has rotated the past two games, but... I think it's now a question mostly of uh, what's the best way to rotate? You know, how can we rotate while uh, keeping up the form of last season? You know, I'm, I'm not opposed to Vermaelen starting. I think that, you know, Vermaelen over PK uh, would have been a, a good choice for this game given his performance against Girona. But, you know, at left back over promising La Masia talents, I mean, I don't think that a lot of, I mean, Luis Enrique wasn't the best at promoting talent, but, you know, Valverde has been pretty, he hasn't done anything with regards to La Masia talent. And I think as a Barca coach, that should be a key issue. It doesn't have to be starting them every once, every two games, but when you get an opportunity like this, you know, uh, midweek game against Leganes, I think it would be, it would have been better to go with, uh, Miranda. I mean, we ended up losing, so I think if you're going to lose, then you might as well blood in some talent rather than an injury-prone uh, Belgian center back who's on the wrong side of 30. You know, so don't don't get me wrong. I think Vermaelen isn't the worst player in the world, but it's playing that left back. I mean, that was cowardly. That was kind of only the tip of the iceberg, though. There were a lot of other issues today for me. And against Tudorona, you know, we're seeing that the squad quality can't really paper over the tactical cracks. Uh, still, still, too, still early in this season. Right now, I think this is the worst farces I've seen since the final days of Luis Enrique. Well, yeah, it does make the the lone move that Cucurella went out on to Ibar, where he just made his first team Ibar debut this week, and so that does leave just. Juan, Juan Miranda, and that is that is a puzzling thing, as you may mention, that the relationship back in the day does harken back to the relationship between Grimaldo and who's now obviously a star with Benfica, as much as you can be at the left-back position and a set-piece specialist and all these things, and his relationship with Luis Enrique being what it was at the time. That said, I think, again, the issues against Leganes were extrapolated because we saw that Obviously, on the surface, that Messi did not have his best day. They just he, there, are, there are, even Messi. There are days when he just doesn't have it, and his passing was not sharp. But he also had five or six guys around him at all times. So obviously, if he's on, if he's in a one-on-one 
to even two-on-one matchups that we're used to seeing him in, that's fine. But again, to, to expect him to break down four or five people is pretty difficult. And even when that happened, his passing just wasn't sharp. And one of the reasons I, I, I see that, and I, and I say that, and I, it's not to blame Vermillion, but due to just coming into the side, again, his first appearance of the season, at that left-back spot behind Dembele. Now, people are gonna, uh, would like to blame Dembele and say that, obviously, with Dembele on the left wing, Jordi Alba hasn't been allowed and afforded the spacing that he did have last season. And we saw late in the game when Alba came on that things really did open up and Malcolm had also come on for Dembele. So there was a lot of space there for Alba to operate in and Malcolm did a good job of tucking in in the position that allows Alba to to, to take that re- that real estate. But that said, there was so much of that match when because Vermelian was not a force at all on the left side and yes, that Dembele was a tad wasteful and his passing wasn't perfect today either, that Leganes were able to sit deeper in and they funneled everything into the middle of the field. So all the attacks were coming down on the right side in the beginning for Barcelona. Again, they had possession, but to what end? And that's the whole point that we obviously know that 77% possession, which is what it was for most of the game, doesn't do much if you can't get there. And I don't think it's a big issue about the Gala 11 that Jordi Alba, as, as we're kind of alluding to, that it's not that Jordi Alba couldn't get taken out, but the way Jordi Alba plays, we know what Barcelona gets out of that. And if you don't have a marauding left back going forward like Jordi Alba and one of the best in the world at that position, then what can you do when the opposition closes down on Messi? There, it didn't seem like there was a tactical. There was. I, I, it seemed like it was a tactical misstep. But as we were alluding to, if it's not Miranda who has said himself that he's not really ready, he doesn't feel ready, then Barcelona didn't really cover themselves. And maybe the idea is that Umtiti or Langlet, probably not Umtiti, but Langlet would have been one to substitute in for left back in a pinch as well even before Vermalian but but still the issue lies that tactics and spacing did come back to beat to, to bite Barcelona because the 11 who start you know it's a known commodity and yet they just didn't have it today and yes they just rotated, rotated Munir and Vermalian but that's not enough rotations same thing with Vidal and Arthur against Girona, that's not enough rotations where you should have to worry. And those players are of quality to be able to succeed against any team in the Liga. Yeah, and, and Munir also really wasn't that bad. I mean, he got practically no service at all. Didn't really do much with the service that he had, but I don't think I, I don't think that adding changing Suarez for Munir changed anything about the game, honestly. Yeah, I mean, going back to the... Usmane Alba, the point. You know, the fact is, Usmane is our best winger. Jordi Alba is our best fullback. You know, one way or another, we're going to have to make it work because those two are going to be in the team. Uh, Usmane, who has been, you know, certainly one of our best players this season, thought has been somewhat wasteful the past two games. So, you know, that's one, you know, I would maybe consider benching him for Malcolm the next game. Um, but, I mean, I would. I think you've just got to take more risks if you're Ernesto Valverde. You know, I think that going back to what you said, I mean, he back to this, he's not he's rotating a little bit. He's taking baby steps with the rotation. I guess it's an improvement from last season, but still, I mean, it's not. It shouldn't be the point where we have to worry like, oh wow, we're playing we're playing with a, a, a starting eleven of babies. There are still some quality players in this team. It comes down to a lot of things. Uh, for, personally, for me, I've said that we need to go back to the 4-4-2. Barcelona fans, you know, we love to see our team teams play 4-3-3. 
you know, that's the Barcelona way. But I don't think that needs to be the Barcelona way every single season. And under Ernesto Valverde, I think that 4-4-2 makes a lot more sense than a 4-3-3, simply because I think that Valverde can coach a 4-4-2 a lot better. I think that I think that the transition from a 4-4-2 to 4-3-3 this season has made our defense so much worse. Or it, it's made a it's just created a lot of holes in our defense. You know, I think we're a lot more the opposition, forget goals, opposition uh, teams are getting a lot more opportunities just because there's so much more gaps for rival attackers to exploit, as we saw against Leganes today. I mean, Leganes could have had more than two. Just Sagan made some quality stops today, but they could have had more than two. And yeah, I mean, for me, I think that we need to, I think that we need to head back to a 4-4-2. I think this squad is built more for a 4-4-2 than a 4-3-3. But that being said, as a counterpoint, I think that if we're sticking with a 4-3-3, then I'm not really sure why Suarez should be in the team. But that's another discussion if you want to get into that. Not only is the Luis Suarez discussion one that we've had in the past, but when you talk about the formation, the ideology with modern football seems to be you know, it is nature versus nurture in terms of if the manager is choosing his selections based on the way he wants to play and putting that imprint on, we saw Valverde, and we did call it a Valverde 4-4-2 last year, that it was a choice to go away from Barcelona's typical 4-3-3, but it all depends on personnel, that if, if the, the team, that is, the again, the other side of the coin, is that if you have a, a team that can play a certain way and you get the best out of these 11 players on the field by playing a 4-4-2, then maybe that's the way you have to go. And an issue with changing up formations as much as we see, and again, I don't want to bring Jose Mourinho into this, but when you see with Man United, when he's trying different things and trying different formations and three at the back here, four at the back another day, that the issues are kind of exasperated when things fall apart. And then you wind up blaming individual personnel when things kind of go wrong. Because I even look back to that Girona game again over the weekend, that Linglet red card, and you know we can bypass, and we'll talk about Linglet and PK in a minute in La Ronda, but the point with Linglet is that if he doesn't get that red card, then we're not talking about Arturo Vidal and Arthur not being able to put an imprint on the game because they're not down a man. And the point was, when they did put in Coutinho and Rakitic, Barcelona did have this renewed life, and they did seemingly connect well and have, and have better balls. But when you look at the midfield today of Busquets, Coutinho, and Rakitic, Coutinho had a decent game, other than, again, Messi when he was on. And, and Messi, believe it or not, if you look at the stats, I mean, according to who scored, just with the match stats coming out right now, both he and Coutinho had tied for second highest scores in the game with El Zayar on the other side who had the first goal for uh, Leganes. 7.6 was the match score for both of those two. So believe it or not, they actually were pretty good just on a statistical analysis, but then when you have the eye test, Coutinho and Messi both had were making mistakes, and a site like whoscored.com was pretty good for looking at some of the advanced metrics. But what it doesn't show you is the number of times that Coutinho put a pass behind Busquets and didn't find him in rhythm, and that was a big issue with the back line. It was a big issue, I think, with everybody in that 11 today against Leganes, and you saw it against Girona as well, and even back to Real Sociedad. A win, but not a clean win, because the passing just hasn't been there. It just There seems to be a lack of chemistry, a lack of cohesion. You don't know if the players are getting overtrained, undertrained, and then you start to really ask questions of the very fabric of how the team is built. I think that becomes very dangerous here, still in September, yet we're not even through one month of the season, and we're already asking these difficult and tough questions, but that's because Barcelona have now dropped three points, and where it took all the way to Levante in the spring last season to, to lose a match, 
we knew that wasn't going to happen again this year. We knew the points were going to be dropped, but you drop it as the number one team in the table to the bottom, bottom team in the table. And as I've been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks, Zach, that you watch the rest of La Liga and you find out that La Liga is pretty deep and does have a lot of talent and teams and managers who have good tactical sense. So Leganes knew what the game plan was going to be and they executed their game plan much better than Barcelona did because Barcelona did get their spacing wrong. They didn't have the opportunities afforded to them. And even with all that possession, it seemed like, particularly in that second half when the game was supposed to open up to benefit Barcelona, that it opened up for counterattacking for Leganes. And I think that actually transitioned us perfectly into, you know, talking about the substitutes that came in. Malcolm came off the bench in this one, and yeah, we had the two other starters in Suarez and, and Alba. But then looking at Vidal and Arthur, my worry is that there's going to become this big disparity between the Gala 11, if you will, and the bench. And we're going to start to lose faith in what the bench is able to provide because if the starters can't get it done, if that Gala 11 midfield with Coutinho, Busquets, and Rakitic, and if Umtiti and PK and Roberto look out of sorts, then how can you possibly trust... Again, guys like Denis Suarez, Sergi Samper, Carcelania, they won't, they won't even get a sniff of the field. They won't even make the bench if the worry is that the Gala 11 can't achieve. So I think, Zach, it may be time to hit the brakes a little bit and not only say that having a Gala 11 is not necessarily a good idea, but the best players will play. And with that proper rotation, you kind of just have to put the trust in the manager and the system and not lose faith in the end of September already, even though a loss to Leganes does look like Armageddon. Yeah, and with regards to the Gala 11... This isn't, like, Napoli 2016 under Sarri, okay? This isn't... I mean, we have a lot of quality players who aren't necessarily in the Gala 11. I mean, this is one of the deepest Barcelona teams that I can remember, to the point where guys like Longlit, Malcolm, Vidal, players who would easily start for other Champions League teams, aren't, are barely playing. And, I mean, I think with regards to the Gala 11, there's only one maybe two players on this team who should who should always be guaranteed starters. Lionel Messi and uh, Marc-Andre Ter Stegen. The rest, I mean, if you don't play well, then you don't play well. I mean, obviously, there are certainly some quality gaps between the two, but I think in terms of consistency and importance, those are the only two players who, you know, for me, really get a a confirmed spot on the starting eleven every single game. Hey, I can even almost argue that Jasper Sillison, of what we've ever seen of him, when he, not only when he's with the Netherlands, but if anything, if you have to rest Ter Stegen, Sillison is just good enough. <laughs> so really, it does come down to Messi, Bus- I think, and then Busquets and Coutinho have been so important as well, and I think the team does look different when MTD's not there. I can barely remember a single mistake Sillison has made since he's joined, honestly. Uh, it's been right. stellar backup. Right, certainly has quality. I think it's time, as we go into La Ronda, we're going to continue basically answering a lot of these same questions and concerns. Minor had a lot of questions, which actually wound up being answered here, and we saw at like an S game because Vermillion featured. He says, PK has had a very rough start to this season, and this was, again, coming before the Leganes game, with Langlet and Umtiti with red cards for the next couple of upcoming matches. Who can we depend on to secure our defense? And that does kind of bring up the issues of PK, where... Against Girona, he got some of the blame. There was some calling for, again, him to be dropped, to be rotated, to kind of have a message sent. And with Langlet having that red card, obviously there was PK was going to start in this one. Vermillion also getting the start as the other center back. And I think it's a good exercise for Barcelona fans to be watching other Liga games because after that Girona game, we saw that Langlet, people, 
asking whether he was nervous, whether there was an issue with his quality. But last year, if you'd watch Sevilla, Langlet, Sevilla's form might have dipped, but when it started to come back, Langlet was arguably a top five center back in all of the league last year. And I think, again, it's not a point about dropping PK, about taking him out of your trusted starting 11. And that's really a better term than Gala 11, a trusted starting 11. The guys who you expect to start in the spring, when the matches really matter. But the point is you have to get to the spring where there are things to play for first. And if Langlet starts two or three games, not or, but two of three games, that's not him taking PK's spot for the spring. That's rather giving a very good player the minutes that he has the quality and has not deserved in a Barcelona uniform, but he hasn't had a shot yet. And if you look at what he did Sevilla, there's a reason that Barcelona bought him. And so I think he has to be trusted in that before he's discarded because that, I, that is my biggest worry about having guys who say, oh, if we can't trust them, then there's nothing behind them. But PK is clearly out of form. And if he is dropped for a few matches, time to clear his head and take a few substitutions, take the time to train, work hard, get his place again, which happened to him, I think it was back in 2011, I believe, when he really was completely out of sorts. And it was near the end of Pep Guardiola where if Guardiola had continued on and not left Barcelona, you won wonder if PK would have retained his spot. It, it got that bad at times all those years ago. And so PK, maybe he is in a funk at the moment. So start Langlet, get him in there, and then PK will be back when you need him and, and let him regain his form and earn his spot back. But I think that PK is the starter when it all matters. True, but Langlet could be starting for a month straight. And I don't think there's an issue with that at all. He has the quality and we cannot be afraid that the bench players are, are not good enough. Some of them might not be. Munir Haladati is not anywhere near close to the level of Luis Suarez. That's a fact. But I don't think the difference between Langlet and PK is really that wide. The only worry would be that Langlet is left-footed, but those are the kind of things where with him and Umtiti both being left-footed, as long as they have the pace, because today that was the issue, right? That PK just lacked the pace necessary to deal with the counterattack of Langaness. He had the same problem against Girona, the same problem against Real Sociedad. So maybe you need a little more pace in there against teams that you know are going to try to counterattack. They're going to dig in like Langaness did, get everybody behind the ball, then try to break out with their speedy wingers and attackers. So maybe you need a, a speedier center back back there, and pace seems to be more of an issue even than left-footed or right-footed to me. Yeah. I mean, not only was he lacking pace today, he was also lacking brain cells. Look, PK has been... You know, obviously a great servant team, but he's also been a liability on and off for about two years now. You know, I want to think back to the start of Luis Enrique's term when he was so terrible. Remember that embarrassing Clasico defeat that Luis Enrique decided to bench him for Jeremy Mateo. And he arguably had the best form of his Barca career that season and the season after. After that started to uh, kind of taper off a little bit. The fact is, he's the worst starter in the team right now, and Longlet is a, you know, he's a fantastic young player. I've been following him since Sevilla got him from Nancy. You know, I think I think that was the last, pretty sure that was the last signing Monchi ever made for Sevilla. And I remember watching his debut against Real Madrid and just analyzing, thinking, wow, this kid is a player. You know, he can pass, he can defend. He's smart. He's good ball. This is a quality defender. And, you know, if we're concerned about, about you know, having two left footers in the defense, then maybe it's time we, we just decide to sprinkle, you know, 70 million or 60 million on Mathias Delict uh, next summer. But that's for, that's for another discussion. That's 
not going to be a discussion for, you know, a few more months. I think what we have to right now, PK should not be in the starting eleven because he is a liability. And that that means he offers more negative attributes to the team than positive. And also going back to Longlet, you know, it's that was come on, that was that was not a. <laughs> A, a good call at all. He should not have gotten a red. That's some yellow minimum. You know, I remember Mascherano getting a, a red card, at the, a silly red card at the start of his career, and he ended up being a great defender for this team. This was nothing like that. Longlet, for me, needs to be given plenty more starts after he returns from the suspension. And honestly, I mean, if, if you're talking about who you'd rather start against Atletico or... Real Madrid. Uh, I'm not sure that I would necessarily go with PK over Longlet. Just the way PK is playing at the moment is is a constant. You know, it's something in the back of your head. Like, what if he screws up now? You know. So yeah, let, let's just hope that some added reinforcement, some added competition, which of course can only happen by rotating and chopping and changing the Galaxi. Hopefully that can uh, give him some motivation to get back to his, to his previous level. We did mention Rick's question about all the signings and the cohesion of the squad. We did talk about that where not only do guys not fully know each other, but as Rick kind of says, there is a lack of fluidity, and we are seeing that with the passing just not being crisp. With And, and that's not just the new starters. That is with everybody, it seems like. Dembele is still getting used to the uh, the attacking force of Suarez and Coutinho and Messi, and we even see that... Today, Roberto, who's usually pretty great, again, a guy that in training you can tell locks up really well, works his chemistry with his teammates on that back line and with Rakitic in particular on the right side, just it's something that Nelson Semedo can, cannot do. It's just that Roberto has that rapport and Semedo doesn't. And so the fluidity just seemed to be off, even with those guys who've known each other and played together for years and years and years now um, throughout the levels. Anyway, the two questions we get from both Mike Miller and Douglas Douglas's question is about the rumors this week about Frankie de Young and how Ajax, and that's led by Mark Overmars, has said that it's now a free bid that everybody is, you know, viable to to get the player, and it's not just going to be he's going to go to Barcelona. It's that he wanted to put him out on the open market, and the worry about that is I think not only they rumors, but it, it, Barcelona is slanted in this as being said that the. Uh, it's another one of the stories where they said the board had the opportunity and they missed their opportunity. So you really always have to be skeptical of, of that, where it does come off as just seeming like a board smearing campaign. Um, again, if it's true, it's it's a it's a negative, it's a damning allegation. Uh, but the point now, I guess, is to say that De Young is not signed or agreed to go anywhere else, and because Kules are so afraid that some top-level talent that they feel would be perfect for Barcelona head somewhere else, that it's going to be an indictment on the board if it doesn't get done. So again, the question kind of becomes is, should the club make a move for De Young in the summer of 2019 or even in January? And obviously, it seems like both De Young and, and De Ligt, who you also mentioned from Ajax, trying to get both players is going to be impossible and way, way too costly. So that's going to be a difficult thing where you might even have to just choose one if you're going to spend 70 to $100 million. And it seems like Barcelona doesn't even want to spend that on, on young guys who really are unproven and just play in the Eredivisie in, in the Netherlands. And then Mike adds that. The other wrinkle to this is that Man United, currently out of the League Cup, and we obviously losing to Derby County this week. You saw that there was a lot of negative stuff going on there. And Mourinho and Paul Pogba 
not only stripping of the captaincy, but it seems like their relationship is very, very volatile. And so should you try to, Mike asked, should we try to make a bid in January? I find that to be very, very impossible. Where again, January for a guy like Pogba, you don't see those deals happen. And if it happened, it would cost 250, 300 million, which is just, again, not reasonable and breaks all the financial fair play rules that you can think of. But that said, to me, the Man United, and I, I'll see where you land on this, Zach, that the Man United situation seems that Mourinho is going to be the guy out. They'll, they'll pay whatever it costs to get him out to bring in somebody new because Paul Pogba is their guy. The players are the ones that the board are going to put their trust behind, not necessarily Mourinho, who we've seen in other places, things corrode in the third season. It's well documented. So I think Paul Pogba is going to still wind up being very, very difficult. You're not going to choose Mourinho over Pogba. And then the other guys... Is Barcelona willing to shell out all that money on De Jong and De Ligt? There's the question of should they and will they? For Pogba, I find that to be incredibly unrealistic. I mean, I wanted him a few years back. Now it's you know financially pretty impossible. As for that situation, I think that where we're getting to the point where you know this is going to be untenable, I think that Mourinho will lose the locker room probably before Christmas and get fired, you know, because it's it's going to be, Pogba is going to be, you know, it's either me or Mourinho, and they're going to choose Pogba. And so I think he's going to stay. As for the young, uh, certainly an option for Barcelona, but I don't think they should uh, go for him. And I don't think they should go for Pogba. Both brilliant players, Pogba would improve Barcelona more than, more than De Jong, but, you know, let's just get to, do Barcelona need those players? Let's look at their midfielders right now. Sergio Busquets, Ivan Rakitic, Arthur Melo, Arturo Vidal, Rafinha, Carlos Alenia, Sergi Samper, Denis Suarez, Ricky Puig. You're telling me we need to spend over $60 million on another midfielder? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. If anything, we need to cut midfielders. And for me, um, you know, the fact is, I think that we should be transitioning to a 4-4-2, as the 4-3-3 has looked pretty ridiculous. But even with the 4-3-3, uh, we still don't have any need for another central midfielder. You know, for me, what we need to be doing is going for a left back, because Alba is getting up there in age. He's not going to be the same player he was last season ever again, most likely. And it's clear that Valverde doesn't really trust you know, on the so I think that the left back should be a priority. I think that you know any Barca fan who's watched their games this season knows that Suarez is another liability to this team. So I think a striker should be a possibility. And I think that you know if you don't want to trust long legs, uh, if you don't want to trust two left-sided, left-footed midfielders, which by the way I would, I would trust uh, those two play each other. But if you don't want to trust them, then another priority should be a center back. So that's two or three, most likely three, uh, priorities, none of which are a central midfield. I would argue that central midfield is, is, is our strongest position right now. I think that the midfield issues that we're seeing are far more tactical than they are individual. You know, they have more to do with finding the right system more than, I mean, look at, look at the, the midfield depth. You'd be hard-pressed to find... I'm not sure you'd find a, a team with uh, as good midfield depth, uh, p- perhaps Real Madrid. But besides that, I mean, we don't we don't need any midfielders. So 
I think that Barcelona's board know that, and they know that, look, we've just spent, um, what was it, like 50-something 50, 50 million, 50-60 million on Vidal and Arthur this past summer. There's no way they're going to spend 60 million plus. So I think he'll, on, on De Young, so I think he'll go probably to England. Uh, I can't really see Real Madrid going for him. Yeah, I think, I think some English team will make a move for him. One wrinkle I do want to add to De Young is that De Young, while he's seen as a future quality world-class midfielder and he's played midfield for Ajax, he's also, I guess, maybe had a need for Ajax. He's been playing center back as well. So you you always wonder, though, if a guy who's just that quality, he seems to unlock the most and helps Ajax the most from even deeper playing at a center back position. Now, we talked about pace with the center backs already, and one of the issues with De Young is that he just doesn't have that pace, but he would be automatically the best ball-playing center back that Barca would have. But the other issue is that the Eredivisie, again, it's a younger league, not known for its physicality as much as La Liga would be, where if you play a team like Hadafe, then De Jong is just going to get punched and kicked and just ripped apart limb from limb playing the center back position. So that would be a worry. And again, that that does bring up the question of, you remember Mascherano, but again, he's a totally 100% flipped on his head different player. He was a pit bull in midfield, and it just works out that he was a pit bull back on the set, at the center back spot as well. So I just want to add the wrinkle that we talk about De Young as being a midfielder unequivocally, but you never know. Maybe there are different plans for him, and if he continues to grow and bulk out, again, he is still in his early, early 20s, that you wonder... Again, maybe his future might not be exactly where you think it lies. But our future for this show is that it has come to a conclusion. We'll continue to keep making episodes of the Barcelona podcast. And not only do we want to just apologize briefly for some technical difficulties with today's show. Again, Zach is over in Madrid. It is a late night over there, but we appreciate him coming on. And thanks for joining the show, Zach. Again, where can people find your work? You can find it at breakinglines.com or uh, BTL Comps on Twitter. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I really hope to be on again soon, and hopefully we'll be in better form. Yep, all around. Again, we got uh, the matches keep on coming. Athletic Bilbao is this weekend, so maybe by the time you have this in your le- in your ears, that Barcelona have hopefully righted the ship and against a quality, historic rival opponent and Athletic Bilbao a team that seems to be bouncing back, even though they got absolutely lambasted today by Villarreal by a 3 to nothing score. A beautiful goal by Fernals. But here we are trailing, wasting time at the end of the show. Again, if you're still with us, thanks for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And for our side. Right now, when you come in and switch to T-Mobile, you get the amazing iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. <sighs> Aren't these mountains majestic? Joe, are you even looking? I'm posting these amazing pics I took with my iPhone 11 Pro. It has three cameras. Whoa, those pics are amazing. And you have service too? T-Mobile. Their newest signal goes farther than ever before. Uh, then you can look up whether these are bear tracks, right? Or we could just run. Come to a T-Mobile store today and get iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. And right now, get four lines for just 30 bucks a line with AutoPay. Switch today. Contact us if you cancel or credits may stop in full price due, plus taxes and fees via 24 monthly credits for well-qualified customers with qualifying service and finance agreement. Zero down with trade-in plus 3125 times 24 months. Pre-credit price $999.99. 0% APR while supplies last. 
And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to Geico. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.